I don't know if you guys know this, uh, but um, Tuesday is a global holiday. It's National Hand Washing Day. <laughs> I'm being serious. October 15th is, I, I didn't plan this. This is just where we're at in Mark. And I, I was like, when is Global Hand Washing Day? Because I remember seeing this one time and I thought, that's just weird. You know, that we, we have a day for everything, right? Uh, but for the people that are part uh, that... Yeah, that means something. So Global Hand Washing Day. So you guys remember when you're washing your hands this week, uh, my mom just started a job at the hospital. And of course, she had this whole training and, and everything was about uh, the number one way to prevent during flu season is washing your hands, right? Uh, we, we learned this. Uh, is it the late 1800s when we really got into the understanding of germs? Um, and... That's not what this text is talking about at all, but it's kind of funny because when we read this, our modern assumptions where we come from, because we're deep-seated in our situation, our culture, our time period, we immediately think that this has to deal with hygiene, and the text really doesn't have to do with hygiene. So we're going to get into the text, but I just want you to know, this coming Tuesday, as you wash your hands, uh, Global Hand Washing Day, I've already felt as it's gotten colder, I wash my hands a ton because I'm like a germ freak as somewhere. I was conditioned as a kid, just wash your hands all the time. And so I get cracks all in my fingers and I hate it. And that's too much information, has nothing to do with the text. But Tuesday, you guys remember that you'll be thinking about this sermon and Jesus telling you not to wash your hands. I'm just kidding. That's not what he's telling you. So here we go. We're in Mark and we've made it almost halfway through the gospel of Mark. And this is, as I was telling my friend, uh, what we know about Jesus comes from the text. That's it, right? We have, we have historical things that are on the outside of the biblical text, uh, extra biblical sources, those things that are on the outside of the Bible that tell us about Jesus. But in the sense of early church fathers, the time frame from when Jesus is uh, alive and he is executed, he's crucified, he rises from the dead, and then we have church history all the way up to where we find ourselves we have people commenting on Jesus or about Jesus' life, even in the early church fathers all the way to the present, talking about Jesus. But where they get this from is from the text. So if we don't know the text, then we likely are going to have caricatures, you know, those funny things that they paint at carnivals or, or uh, you know, at those bloated heads with, the, you know, doing something funny, a caricature of Jesus as opposed to uh, the real picture of uh, the dynamic Jesus that is in the text. And so the church, we, we might have an American Jesus. We might have a Middle Ages Jesus, you know, the medieval, the, the, the dark period of history. We might have all these different, there's a, there's a picture hanging in one of the churches in Salina. And uh, every time I go to that church, up on, they've got it in a really interesting spot, but it's like up in the corner on a brick wall, and it's this huge picture, and I guess somebody donated it to the church, but Jesus is on his knees praying like this. Um, nothing wrong with it, but it's not necessarily right within its chronology. It's kind of like Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci's uh, The Last Supper, where they're all sitting at a table. You know, it's like there's, there's things that are not right chronologically in the painting. Um, it's just an interesting picture of Jesus at different periods of history where the church is trying to communicate something. Um, people praying like this, you know, gives an image that he's about to be knighted, you know. That's uh, just, a, it's out of time. It's out of history. Um, so when we come to the text, it's important that we just reassociate ourselves. We unlearn some things and we relearn and we learn afresh, learn new when we come to the text. 
Mark is telling us about Jesus through what Jesus does and what Jesus says. There's all these characters that don't know what's going on. We are removed from those characters. We don't live in the first century. There's these customs that are built into that era. You've got the Jewish people, which are underneath Rome. The Jews are trying to be holy, set apart. They're trying to be different, to represent Yahweh to the world as they were called to be. And so they have these different things, things that are good and some of them that were developed along the way that are not so good. Sabbath is a good thing. It represents this idea of care for humanity, care for creation, letting things rest. That was an example to the world. Whereas, you know, the pagans just thought the Jews were lazy. But this was a part of their identity. This was a part of them representing to the world that God is for humanity. A funny thing developed beyond the Old Testament, beyond the laws of Torah, beyond the laws of Moses. A thing developed over time, just like it did even from the time of Jesus' resurrection to the present with uh, church history. Little things that were added along the way. We call those traditions. Or better yet, we call them traditional isms. Things that we think are really important to God or things that are really important to religion, things that are really important to Christian faith, that a lot of times they're from an era, they're from a period in which they were trying to deal with some real thing and they wanted to hand people, the lay people, they wanted to give people, hey, this is a way to go about that. And they'd give them a little rule, a little idea. At my house, every time I go in the basement, uh, I see that my kids have been there and they're not in here so I can just harp on them for a minute. I buy those fruit snacks from Sam's, you know, like the big box of fruit snacks. And I've got one child. I won't tell you which one it is. But they leave those wrappers everywhere. And it just drives my senses nuts. We have a treadmill down in the basement. I found a whole thing of candy wrappers sitting on the treadmill. So it was right in front of the TV. So I asked them to go walk on the treadmill, you know, do something besides play your video game. You know what they did? They turned on the TV and they're sitting there eating while they're walking on treadmill, just candy and fruit snacks. But I find these fruit snacks everywhere. And I'm like, guys, if I find fruit snacks, I'm not going to buy them anymore. And so I have like this whole very legalistic, pharisaic mentality towards these fruit snack wrappers. And I find them everywhere. It just drives me nuts. Well, I never sit in the basement because I don't have time. I don't watch movies. But I was watching Netflix the other night. Ah, I'm just finally getting to relax. And I'm like, yeah, I want a snack. I went and got a snack. And I found myself down there eating. When I got up to leave, I saw my wrapper there. And I had no intention of picking it up. And I've been on this for like months with this one particular child. Even the other kids are like scared. They're like, you, they're like picking up the trash for that one child, you know, just to make sure that the rule is not broken. Um, I tell you that because it's just like these, these things that's in our house. That's a thing somewhere in my mind, a unspoken rule. Now it's spoken. But there was these, these uh, taboos, these things that drive us completely insane. And when they're manifested through an institution, especially through organized religion, they can become very toxic and manipulative, hateful, even violent if you remember around the Reformation, people, uh, the Anabaptists, remember when they, when they were saying that you need to be baptized by uh, all completely in the water. But they had already been baptized as an infant. And so you know what they did? Some of the reformers, you know what they did? They drowned them as, a, as an insult. They killed them. They drowned them. To, to, you want to be rebaptized? Well, this is how we're going to do this. And that was a manifestation of this idea, something that was supposed to be wholly representing a death, a water grave of being resurrected with Jesus has now become this tool uh, from the church or from a religion that has become very toxic and very violent and completely opposed to obviously the spirit of the law, the spirit of who God is. Are you guys with me? 
So these things can manifest, these rules, they can become toxic. And when religious people get a hold of them, look out. We can be very detrimental. And then what we do is we create institutions that we hide behind, and then we judge everybody outside that. But the thing about gospel and the thing about the scriptures is that this is a God who comes and tears down those barriers, tears down those walls so that you can see truth, which then it exposes everybody on the same playing field, that there's none that are righteous, Paul tells us in Romans 3, that nobody gets it. There's only one God, and the good news is that God is merciful. Jesus has been challenging this representation of Jesus from the text. This is the Jesus that Mark is telling us about. God has shown up. The sky ripped open. Jesus, God is on the loose and people are being healed. The creation is getting, the disciples are being seen that they get this. uh, They're getting Jesus in their midst and he has the power over the natural realm. We're finding that the outsiders are being included and that the religious establishment, those that are the spokesmen for God are having a major problem with it. We didn't even get out of chapter 2, and it says that the Pharisees went to plot with the Herodians, right? Herod's people to destroy Jesus, to kill Jesus. And then we saw in chapter 6 the fate of John the Baptist where Herod had to please his guests. Even though he liked to listen to John's talks, he had John the Baptist beheaded. We've seen the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples were supposed to understand from all of these miracles that Jesus has done, who Jesus is. But these characters don't seem still to know who is with them, the one that calms the waves, who has control over uh, the storms, the one that can multiply bread. We saw, you know, this building up the disciples and the way that they're trying to process through the information of Jesus being with them and teaching them and leading them. And so... Last week was pretty funny because we were in the bread chapters. We're, dis- we're, we're discovering that the disciples don't understand anything about who Jesus is, but we see this thing of bread pop up over and over again. Well, this is another one of those instances where they're eating. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. If you go back to chapter 6, this is where we ended when Jesus had walked on the water. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring sick people on beds wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces. You know where you buy bread? They laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment, and as many touched it were made well. Next scene. When the Pharisees had gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Remember, we've got them coming to check on all the activity of Jesus. Mark has told us through all these seven chapters that the crowds are chasing after Jesus. A couple, just weeks ago, we saw that there was 5,000 people eating bread in a military-type fashion on the hill out in the desert. This is a large amount of people that have... Jesus has this popular reputation that has just overcome the whole countryside. My one friend was saying, imagine if like half of Hayes... You just saw half of the population of Hayes just walking somewhere. Is this massive amount of people. And of course, the scribes, those that interpret the Old Testament, those that keep things in line so that the temple can function, so that they can try to represent God in this little space that Rome has allowed them to occupy. 
They're trying to keep it together, but they're coming to check on this mass movement that has started with this guy from Nazareth, this Jesus character. So they've got all these traditions that have been built up. Now, if you go back to Exodus and you go back to to Numbers, the priests were supposed to wash their hands. The priests were supposed to wash themselves. The family of the priest, before they could eat the sacrifices, were supposed to be ready to go into that space. But what the Pharisees did and what they did with a lot of things, they created these rules upon rules. They called it fencing in the law. So, like, you can't really travel on Sabbath. So what you would do is you'd go to the dirt of your home and you'd grab some of that dirt and you'd stick it in your pocket. So you're not really leaving home. You're taking home with you, right? It's, it's like you're bypassing the law so you could still carry out the human things that you got to do. They would do things like this, and they would try to over, overwrite the law. Now, I've heard in Israel today that they actually still do this. Like, they have elevators that go on different times on Sabbath so that you don't ever have to necessarily push a button to get on to make this thing work. I've heard that they do it with telephones. They do it with all sorts of things where they, they try to create these rules so that they are not breaking God's violation, violating God's laws. It's... These rules that have compounded and mutated by the time you get to Jesus, where Jesus is just annoyed by it. This is what the Old Testament prophets were telling Israel a long time ago. You think you're worshiping God, but you're not really worshiping God at all. You actually use the things of God, the rules of God, to make excuses for your behavior. We sometimes still do this in Christianity. We exclude people, we keep people on the fringes, and we do it in the name of God. And uh, that is a, a very dangerous thing. So this is the scene. All of those images, uh, uh, this is the scene. Pharisees and the scribes come from Jerusalem, check on this popular Jesus guy, and they say, hey, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled. They just came out of the marketplace, right? Whenever you're among pagan people, whenever you're around other people, you're going to become impure. You're going to be defiled. And this is their concern. Instead of just the priests having to wash themselves, Pharisees were like, ah, you can live out holiness too, but we're not going to make you wash your whole body. We're just going to make you wash your hands. Oh, and wash the container that you wash your hands in and, and make sure that you have your napkin sitting in the right spot right when you're eating your dinner so that you're not defiled. They had all of these strange things that we find strange today, but it had nothing to do with germs. It had nothing to do with germs. Um, although, I mean, imagine there's no toilet paper and, I mean, you probably wash your hands, right, after you... You know, you're eating your food. You you know that water probably takes some of that away. So it's not about germs, but um, sometimes it's hard to get over those cultural barriers as we read texts like this. They saw that Jesus' students ate with hands that were defiled according to their... Because it seems like they're already eating. So how do they know? Well, they just probably assume because they already encountered Jesus' disciples eating on the Sabbath or uh, cutting and making a road through the grain field on the Sabbath. They're trying to catch Jesus. They've already plotted to destroy him. Mark tells us in parentheses here, uh, Mark's letting you know because this is probably a Gentile audience because why would a Jew, why would a a Jew try to tell you about uh, Jewish customs if you weren't Jewish? I mean, if you were a Jew, you you just wouldn't do that. So he's probably writing to a Gentile audience. So he's telling you, he's giving you a little bit like, hey, by the way, this is what this means. Because the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. Holding to the tradition of the elders, not not holding to the Torah or the Old Testament, holding to the rules created by the people who were interpreting Torah over that long period of time. You guys still with me? I know this is a lot to take in. And when they come from the marketplace, this is still giving you insight into the Jews. They do not eat unless they wash. 
And there are many other traditions that they observe. All of these rules, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus in front of this mass amount of people trying to call Jesus out, why do your students, the disciples, not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Why don't they follow these rules? But eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, okay, so Jesus has just been called out in front of a massive group of people, and he can either just be like quiet or he can defend himself. In the ancient world, or even in still the, the East today, um, like if you walk up to somebody, we're going to see this in the next story with a Syrophoenician woman. If you were to say, that, oh, I like your coat, they should reply to you, well, I really like your hat. And then you would be like, well, I really like your teeth. And, they would, and it would just be like this back and forth game where they're trying to up, up you. And it goes the same way with insults. Honor, shame, society. This is the, this is the normal, normal banter. Jesus does this a lot when he calls um, a brood of vipers. He's doing that game thing, and Jesus always wins, except, which we'll get to next week, Jesus does not win the game with the outcast, the outsider Syrophoenician woman. He lets her win. I got goosebumps just now. I'm telling you that. Because it, it, that's the scriptures. The person that's completely on the outside gets to win with God. But those that are calling Jesus out with God as their excuse, um, this is what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't even go, he doesn't even go in because, see, their whole deal is built on the tradition of the elders, their interpretation and their rules. And so Jesus just goes back straight to Isaiah when Isaiah was calling out Israel for using God as an excuse, honoring God with their mouth, but not honoring God with their hearts. Jesus said, well, did I... Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. Jerry, can we go to the next slide? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Quoting Isaiah, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus flips this and says, this is not God's commandments, this is men's commandments. In the Greek, in Matthew chapter 15, where this story, where Matthew's gospel has it, I love it because there's this word transgress. They say, why do your disciples transgress the laws by not washing their hands? And Jesus flips the language, uses the same language back to him in the Greek and says, why do you transgress God's laws with your stupid traditions? It's just this indicting thing in front of this mass amount of people who probably have seen this corruption before, but they're not about to speak up. Because they want to go to temple. They want to be forgiven. They don't, they're not the educated bunch. But now there's this one that's standing there in the midst that's bantering with them and he's winning. And he's projecting a completely different view of God. What does God require of humanity? And Jesus is exposing this false hypocrisy of organized religion that had nothing to do with actually uh, the Torah. So Jesus lops this back at him, and then he says this, you leave the commandment of God and hold on to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. He goes back to Moses. Jesus, remember, their whole thing is built on Moses, though following the law of Moses. So Jesus says this in front of the crowd. He never answers the Pharisees' question. He just lops it out so everybody can hear in his defense. He goes back to Moses, Exodus chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments. Number five, right? Honor your father and mother. So here Jesus is quoting the Ten Commandments. 
And he says, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, Jesus is calling him out, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin. Now, we'll digress a little bit here. Jesus is saying, oh, you want to honor your father and mother. That's what Moses said. But this is the way that you twist scripture. This is the way that you twist the, the ways of God. Corbin is a term you could, in a sense, kind of like a modern day trust. Okay? You, could, you could set something up that you could designate part of your property to the temple. Like this is set apart for God. I'm going to give this to God. But they could write it in such a way. They could set it up in such a way that if anybody wanted to get it like a family member, nobody could get it because it was dedicated to the temple. And it would only, they would only go to the temple when they died. So they could, they could still use it if they needed to. And then they had ways to go through loopholes so that the temple could not even get it at the end. And so Jesus is saying, you do things like this. You, you say that you honor your father and mother, you're all for Torah, you're all for God's ways, you're all for God's laws. But then here's just one example of what you do. You say that, because they didn't have social security back in the day, right? Your aging parents, to a spirit of the law says, I'm going to love my father and mother even by meeting their physical needs. So if mom and dad are hungry, I really don't have to help them because that's Corbin, that's set apart for God. It sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds all churched up. But at the end of it all, it was only a twist for greed. And it was this example of them just hoarding their stuff and using God as their excuse to be apparently godly. And so that they could get their way. And Jesus says that you do things like this. If we go to the next screen. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition. That you have handed down. And this last verse is just so convicting. And many such things you do. Jesus is calling into question all that junk that they built upon. God's law is actually really simple. Love God. Love your neighbor. Serve the world. That's God's law. Love mercy. Do justice. Walk humbly with your God. That is what God requires of humanity. He called to the people... He, and he called the people to him again and, and said to them, hear me, all you, call in the crowd. Understand, there's nothing that outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things out of a person are what defile him. So Jesus is saying, all that stuff that you think that you're eating, when it goes in you, it doesn't go into your heart or the soul seat of the human. It goes into the digestive system of that person, and then it goes out into the latrine, right? It goes out to the toilet. This is... This is what Jesus is saying in front of all these people. When he had entered the house and he left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. They're scratching their head on this one. They're like, they were the ones eaten with defiled hands. Jesus is calling into question these traditions. Now they're alone. And this is just like last week when um, Jesus came walking on the water. They're in the boat. And, and, and then Mark tells us it's because they didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't understand about the bread, which means they didn't understand that God had shown up, that he could feed people supernaturally because he owns the creation. He's he's the one who set it all up, has shown up, and he can multiply bread for the masses of people. He could provide manna just like God did in the Old Testament for his people. They don't understand this, and Mark's humor just cracks me up. They didn't understand because they didn't understand the loaves. They didn't understand that God could come walking on the water just like they couldn't understand that God could provide bread. And here, Jesus says, hey, that's not what goes into you. It's, they've heard all their whole life. 
Since the age of five, right, they've known Torah because good Jewish little boys and girls, right? They had known Torah since they were five years old. They know what the traditions of the elders are because that is the cultural norm in which they live. And the disciples are like caught in this rock in a hard place because they don't fully understand what's going on. But this is this is funny. When they had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked Jesus about the parable. He said to them, then are you without understanding, which in the Greek, that's like, why are you so stupid? He doesn't mean that mean, but maybe he does. I don't know. I don't think Jesus means it mean. I just think he's facepalm Jesus, right? That's the new emoji we need them to create. Just facepalm Jesus. Do not see whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach, and it is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. Don't have time to go into that last parenthesis, uh, but we'll save that for another day. Uh, Paul is the one that really gives us the understanding that you can eat bacon, okay? So I wouldn't use that text to defend um, that you can eat bacon. Just, just a little heads up there. Because what's going on there in the Greek is that Jesus is uh, tell, talking about that this food that goes into a person goes out. And Jewish people did not understand excrement or your stuff that comes out of you to be defiled. So he's saying, well, what if the food goes in and it comes out and it's not defiled and it wasn't defiled going into you? That's the argument that's being made here. I know that seems really over the top weird, but that's what the text is doing. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. So Jesus is going back to this unpacking the parable of, of besides just eating something that's not defiled. But he's saying that what comes out of a person is, is actually the problem, the seat For from within, out of the heart of man or humanity, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So Jesus is unpacking, right? To those on the outside, he spoke in parables. To his inner 12, he unpacked what he was saying. What he's saying here is that The problem with most of the tradition of the elders, the problem with most of religion is that it tries to church everything up. And along the way, while it's trying to keep all of these rules, it loses its heart. It loses the spirit of why it was put in place in the beginning. God is real and God loves humanity and God wants humanity to thrive. And so this is God's setup in in the whole scope of God's reconciling the world to himself. And this is no different. In the Ten Commandments, when you read the Ten Commandments, you can't do any of those without loving God and loving your neighbor, right? They're really simple. Ten Commandments. Jesus is saying the problem is, is that what comes out of a person, when you get God and you show up in community, it's not about you washing your stupid hands so that you can make yourself right with a deity that is disconnected from you. When you show up in society with this God, the God that's holy and set apart, when you come because you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, into spaces, what happens is you leave your neighbor's stuff alone. You don't take it, right? You don't get greedy and covet what your neighbor has. You don't take your neighbor's spouse. So when the church shows up and a Christian shows up into space, this is is what should happen, the opposite of these things. But it's because of sin living in human heart. It's what comes out of a person. It's not all this external stuff that religion tries to focus on. It's about what's going on in the individual between the internal world and that person with God. You understand? And so this this picture is like the opposite of the Ten Commandments. 
When Christians show up, love, mercy, grace, compassion, wholeness, healing, these are the things that show up in society when Christ-likeness shows up, when God shows up. Not a bunch of rules to keep you busy so that you can look like you're pleasing the gods. That's actually paganism. Paganism is a form of gods that were very human in nature, and they were wild, and they were, they were all of these things. But Yahweh is different, and therefore Jesus is different. When we come to Mark's Jesus, Mark is telling us about who God is through Jesus, and this is what God is like. God wants to give you life. He wants to give you life so much that it spills into society through you, and that we don't use religion as an excuse to look churchy or good in front of other people. So where we're going with this is this is boot camp for the disciples because next week we're going to see Jesus talking to the Syrophoenician woman. Then there's going to be another couple thousand people that need fed, but this time it's not the Jews, it's the Gentiles. And the disciples are like, oh, I don't know if we can do this, Jesus. Mark is telling you that Jesus is challenging the purity laws, the expectations of what defiles a person. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Mercy triumphs over these things. When Jesus shows up, he's not contaminated by the leper or the, the sinner. He can, he's the contagion. And that mercy transforms and brings people back to their true humanity. 